You're listening to City Church. Good morning. Welcome to church. Are you happy to be at church today? I just got back from vacation. It was awesome, but I missed you guys. And uh, did you miss me? Oh, good. Okay, good. Yeah. Well, now I feel confident and I, uh, you know, find my assurance and you can, no, I'm just kidding. No, it's great to be back. If you're new here, welcome. My name's Justin. I'm lead pastor here and you have just stepped into a party. So let's pray. And then we're going to get right into the scripture. God, thank you for an opportunity to seek your face. We need you. God, we need you to speak to us. God, we can't live five seconds without you speaking to us. So I pray in Jesus' name today, you make your voice clear. You make your word clear to us. God, I know that everybody's coming with different situations and circumstances. You have this incredible ability, Jesus, to take your word and make it fit our lives. And so I pray, speak to us in a powerful, profound way. God, I humble myself, take hold of my voice, God, and speak your word for your glory. God, not mine, not anyone else's here, Jesus, your glory, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Just got back from vacation, and uh, we went to Cape Cod. Anybody ever been to Cape Cod before? Let me see your hand. Cape Cod's a lot of fun. Gosh, you got you got to go to Cape Cod. There's a lot of people who've never been to Cape Cod. It's a blast. It's a good time. And uh, it's just a beautiful place to go and visit. And so uh, we spent most of our days there in Cape Cod, you know, going to the beach and swimming and stuff like that. But um, I have, if, you're, if you don't know me at all, I have uh, a wife, which is a blessing. Thank you, Jesus. And so she's here somewhere. Hi, honey. There she is. Uh, not Jeremy. Jeremy's not my wife. Um, but uh, my wife, Chrissy. And that's my little guy, Ezra, up there. Hi, Ez. Hey, buddy. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. And so, uh, and then we have two older boys, seven and five, uh, Gabe and Noah. And so we went um, to a lot of different places. One of the places we went was the Cape Cod Nature Center because we're, you know, we're responsible parents. We want to teach our kids things and stuff. And so we go to the Nature Center and they have this little scavenger hunt you can do, you know, when you're there looking for facts in the books and on the walls of the Nature Center, you know. And so my kids were like, I was like, guys, you want to do the, the scavenger hunt? And they were like, no, let's just run around. And so we're like, all right, we won't do this scavenger hunt. We'll run around. And so that's what we did. We ran around. We had a good time looking around. And, and when we were in the bird room, there was, uh, there was all these different birds and you're watching birds outside and there's stuffed dead birds inside and everything else. And so this lady is doing the scavenger hunt with her daughter, looking for the interesting facts all over the museum, you know. And so she walks up to me. She says, excuse me, um, do you know the state bird of Massachusetts? And I said, yeah. Of course, I took out my iPhone. And I typed in state bird Massachusetts. And by the time I could speak it with my lips, she had already found it on her iPhone. And so, uh, by the way, it's the black-capped chickadee, if you're interested. Um, and so you can write that down. God will speak to you about that. And so um, the, uh, I told her that, and it was interesting to me because in the moment, I'm watching, and she tells her daughter, and I'm thinking to myself, I don't know if this is the way that this whole scavenger and thing's supposed to work. Like, I think we may have just subverted the process of discovery amongst the youngsters by, you know, using our technology. And I don't know if you realize it, but we are living in the most technologically advanced era in human history, um, they say that on your smartphone, if you have one, you have more data available to you today than the president of the United States had in 2004. Minus like the aliens and what happened to Kennedy and stuff like that. But everything else, well, you could probably find that on the Internet, too. Everything else you have uh, more available to you than 10 years ago. The president of the United States CEO of Google recently claimed that every two days, check this out, every two days we create as much information as we did from the dawn of time to 2003. All right, so from the dawn of time to 2003, we created X amount of information. Today, in our world, human beings are generating every two days that degree 
of information. We are saturated, more access to facts, photos, opinions, books than ever before in the history of the human race. And that's a good thing in a lot of ways and a bad thing in a few ways. One of the ways that that's a bad thing is that it gives us the idea that we're informed without ever feeling obligated to actually apply what we already know. And so um, there's this great wealth of knowledge, but this great lack of wisdom. Now, it says in uh, your psychology, psychologists will tell you that uh, it takes about 21 days to form a habit. And so for the next 22 days, because we gave you an extra day, because you're a little slower than some, as I am. I needed the 22. So with 22 days uh, to form a new habit, okay? And it's the habit of cultivating a lifestyle of wisdom. You can turn to the same person you said hi to and tell them you need some wisdom. Go ahead and tell them today. You need some wisdom. You need some wisdom. Now, over 125 times this word wisdom is used in the book of Proverbs alone, all right? Wisdom or wise, over 125 times. Now, interestingly enough, you can learn a lot about the word just by studying the actual Hebrew phrase, the word for wisdom. Now, this Hebrew word for wise or wisdom is the word that was used to describe an individual who is skilled with their hands, okay? So someone who's good at sculpture or someone who's good at carpentry, it would be said of them in the Hebrew that they are very wise, okay? That they are very skilled with their hands. And so this word wisdom, even from the root of the word, doesn't just mean a random knowledge of facts. It doesn't just mean a bunch of information about something. It's not just knowing things. Wisdom is the ability to apply and rightly use what you know. All right? Wisdom is the ability to apply and rightly use what you know. So in other words, Knowledge does you no good unless you have the wisdom that enables you to apply the knowledge that you have. All right? And so our issue in the world today is not a lack of knowledge. We have every type of knowledge you could ever ask for. You can find out anything you want to find out in a relatively easy way. But what we lack desperately is wisdom, the ability to apply what we know. And you can't find that on the internet. You can't find that on your smartphone Wisdom starts somewhere else. And so Proverbs chapter 1, verse 1 and 2 tells us who penned the majority of the Proverbs. And it tells us the point of the book. You can look at it with me. It says, the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight. In other words, that's the point of this book. This book of Proverbs was written so that you could understand how to grow in wisdom. And so for the next four weeks, we are going to read together every single word in the book of Proverbs. Doesn't it sound exciting? Good. So pull out this card. You got it when you walked in. Go ahead and find that for me for a second because I'm going to ask you to make a commitment today. I'm going to ask you to make a commitment to walk with us for the next four weeks, 22 days exactly. Um, so not quite four weeks, but exactly 22 days, walk through every single word of the book of Proverbs. Now, obviously, we're going to cover over those four weeks in church four major themes of the book of Proverbs, okay? And we'll kind of unpack those as we go. But together, we're going to be reading word for word every, every single word in the book of Proverbs. Today, it starts uh, on 720. You see in the top left-hand corner with chapter 1. And so chapter one is for today. Here's what I want to ask you to do. I want to ask you to form a habit, to do two things. One, read the Bible every day. And two, 
if that's already a habit for you, praise God. And two, to develop an attitude of wisdom every day. Because think about your life. You don't have a knowledge breakdown, do you? You have a wisdom breakdown. The areas of struggle, the areas of pain, the areas of difficulty in your life today are because you lack the capacity to apply what you already know. And so do I. And so here we go in a journey to develop wisdom. So I want you to decide right now, I'm going to go on the journey. I'm going to do it. I'm going to read the book of Proverbs. Today is Proverbs chapter 1, the entire chapter, okay? And we gave you a little prayer to just pray in context with what's happening in that chapter, okay? So I want to encourage you right now, decide in your heart, come with me. Okay, you're going to come with me. I'm going to do this. I've asked all of the elders of a city church to do this. I've asked all the leaders of city church to do this. All of us together are going to be walking through the, uh, the book of Proverbs, and I want to encourage you to do it with us, all right? Do it with us. Just decide right now. You're going to do it. You're going to do it. You're going to do it. Okay, good, good, good. You're in. Okay, so where do we begin? Where do we begin? Well, wisdom does not begin with the highest IQ. Wisdom does not begin with the greatest education. Wisdom does not begin even with church attendance. Wisdom does not begin with the most information. Proverbs chapter 9 tells us where wisdom begins, okay? We can look at it together, Proverbs 9 verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Look at it with me one more time. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. The fear of the Lord. Now, if you've been around church or Christianity any length of time, that phrase is a little bit awkward, is it not? The fear of the Lord. Are we not taught in Christian circles and in religion in general that fear or even in functional life, fear is generally seen as a bad thing, right? Like, fear is bad. Like, don't fear death. Don't fear, you know, losing your job. Don't be afraid, right? Fear is generally a bad thing. In fact, you could find scripture to back that idea up. First John, in the, in the uh, writings of John, the apostle of Jesus, he says that there is no fear in love, and perfect love casts out fear, right? And so when we read that, we think to ourselves, yeah, fear is bad, and there is a bad fear. In fact, the most common phrase in, in, in terms of a command in all of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation is this consistent command by God to fear not, fear not, fear not, fear not. You want to be wise? You better have fear. What? Right? Isn't that a little confusing? I mean, I'm not exactly sure how this is supposed to go. And so there is a fear that is bad, but then apparently in Scripture it describes also a fear that is good. Look what Proverbs 28 says is the amplified version of verse 14, Proverbs 28. Blessed, happy, fortunate, and to be envied is the man who reverently and worshipfully, what's the next word? You guys are sharp. Fears the Lord at all times, regardless of circumstance. But he who hardens his heart will fall into calamity. And so what we see here is that there's a happy, joyful experience in the fear of God. And so how does this work? How is it possible that we can be fearful and fearful and one is good and one is bad? Well, Scripture gives us some insight. Jesus talks about this in Luke chapter 12. Check it out. Stay with me. Y'all doing good today? Okay, good. Luke chapter 12. I tell you, my friends, look how many times he uses the word fear. Do not fear those who kill the body, and after that have nothing more that they can do. But I warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he's killed the body, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten before God. Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. For some of us, that's an easier job than others. Fear not. 
You are more value than many sparrows. So wait a minute. Wait a minute. Am I supposed to not be afraid because God loves me and he cares for me and he counts the hairs on my head? And am I also supposed to be afraid because he's God? And so am I supposed to fear or am I supposed to fear not? Jesus Jesus apparently says both. Fear him, don't fear. Fear him, don't fear. Which one is it? Answer is yes. That is wisdom. In other words, there is a fear that is not right in the heart of a person. A fear that you'll be alone and that God will abandon you. A fear that God doesn't love you. A fear that God will forget you. Or a fear that God won't come through. That he doesn't have your best interests in mind. Or that he's not good. That fear must be wholeheartedly eradicated from your life. That fear is wicked and will destroy you. And when the scripture says fear not, it refers to that fear. But then there's also another fear. That sees God as both holy and just a perfect, just God who will one day judge you for your sins and he has created a refuge in Christ. And so we have an obligation and a responsibility and an opportunity to run with all of our guts, hide in that refuge and let all the chaos of judgment and wrath swarm outside. But if we stay in here, we don't have to be afraid of anything. Years ago, I was in Nashville, Tennessee with some friends doing some ministry stuff. And in the middle of our trip there, there was a tornado that was coming through the area. And we were staying at a campground in a camper. Now, there's not too many more terrifying places that you could be than in the root of a tornado in a camper, right? That's like, definitely don't want to be in the camper, right? And so I called one of my friends who lived about 45 minutes south of Nashville. I said, can we come to your house? We don't want to be in the path of this tornado. He said, of course, come. And so we come. My family and me stayed inside the house. And some of our other friends that were with us stayed in the camper outside his house. Now, the tornado didn't hit his house, but some intense winds certainly did. And it starts to get in your head like, okay, I'm in a camper. The winds are very intense. There's a tornado. Maybe it took a left. Maybe I'm going to die. And so eventually, everybody that was in the camper came running into the house and huddled for the majority of the night in his living room and said, we don't care if we don't get sleep. We don't want to be out there because it's crazy out there and that thing could blow over and it's safer in here. See, the fear of the Lord in its essence is the understanding that God, I can't be away from you. God, I don't want to be one breath outside of your refuge. I don't want to be one step outside of your presence. Psalm 31 says, how abundant is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you and worked for those who take refuge in you in the sight of the children of mankind. In other words, I hide in the shelter of God and I fear that I would ever be outside his shelter because it's crazy out there. But in here, I have perfect confidence that I fear not. You see it? You feeling that? That is the fear of the Lord. That's the understanding of the fear of the Lord. And so check this out. Wisdom. Remember, it says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That wisdom does not begin with a greater education, though that's a wonderful thing, or a beautiful, amazing intellect. Wisdom doesn't begin with reading the right books or finding the right friends or attending a good church. Wisdom begins, and we can start here today. Wisdom begins with a properly aligned heart. If you want to write that down, you can. Wisdom begins with a properly aligned heart. Wisdom begins 
with a properly aligned heart. I've used this illustration before. You know, um, when God created the trees, he spoke to the earth because the earth is the natural environment by which a tree is alive. And so you pull the tree out of the earth and the earth and the tree will die. A fish, when he's made the fish, he spoke to the sea because the sea is the natural environment of the fish. And if you pull the fish out of the water, the fish will die. In the same way, when God created human beings, he spoke to himself. Because God is the natural environment of humanity. That's why he said, let us make man in our own image when he spoke of creating humanity. And he created human beings from his own image so that the natural environment of man is God. And you take God out of man and and man suffocates and can't survive. This is the essence of the fear of the Lord, to properly align your heart and be aware of the fact that, God, if I don't stay in your refuge, I cannot breathe. The wisdom of life begins with a properly aligned heart. You ever had a car go out of alignment? Let me see your hand. Car out of alignment. Had to go get in alignment with your car. 60 bucks at Meineke, right? And so you've had an alignment on your car. Now, an alignment on your car is usually discovered through something dramatic, right? Similar to a lack of alignment in your life. Usually something dramatic shows you that you need an alignment. Like you say, I don't think it's supposed to do that, right? Well, that usually is a sign that you need an alignment or you go fast. You know, you hit 70 or 80 and, and all of a sudden, not that you go that fast, of course, holy person, but you're going that fast and, and by accident, of course, and all of a sudden it's like, wait, 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 wait. you know, everything starts to shake. Why? There's something out of alignment. Well, there's warning signs before the emergency that you're out of alignment. One warning sign, I actually realized this recently when my two front tires on my minivan, that's right, I said minivan, loud and proud, in my minivan, um, you know, were all worn out. And the, the guy at Meineke said, hey man, uh, you got metal poking out of your tires? And I'm like, is that, is that a bad thing? Is that, is that not supposed to be happening? And so they were all worn improperly. Now there were sections of it that had thick, beautiful, glorious tread. And other sections were poking out with metal, right? You've seen this before. One warning sign that you're not aligned properly is your tires wear on evenly. Another one is it keeps pulling to the right, right? Your car keeps pulling one direction. You ever seen that happen where it's like, Hey, I keep driving this way. And why am I keep on? And you have to kind of just to go straight, you have to turn the wheel, right? Another way that you know, you might be out of alignment is uh, if you're burning gas like crazy. If you're running out of gas and your car should be getting 30 miles a gallon, but you're getting less than that, that could mean that you need an alignment or your steering wheel is off center. You ever seen that happen where it's like, you're going straight, but the steering wheel is like, You know what I'm talking about? That means you probably need an alignment. Well, interestingly enough, there's also warning signs that your soul needs an alignment. There's warning signs that your soul needs an alignment. And if we're going to walk through this book of Proverbs and discern and discover and develop wisdom, we must properly align our hearts. This is where we begin. And so if you don't have a properly aligned heart, the danger is you can read this and never see this. Never hear this. Never know the real sound of wisdom. You have the potential to read it, think you got smarter, and only more thoroughly deceive yourself. Because wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord, a properly aligned heart. And so there's some warning signs. Maybe your tread isn't wearing evenly. Maybe you hang out, hello, this is for somebody, in certain areas of who God is and ignore other areas of who God is. 
Maybe you say, oh, no, no, I love the fact that God is love. I love the fact that God is peace. I love the fact that God makes me feel good. But it says he could throw you into hell. Oh, I don't, <laughs> yeah, we don't, I, I, I like heaven, but the whole hell, I don't know if I even believe in that. You know, and, and, and you know, I like love, but, but judgment, and, and I, don't, I don't really like those things. I just like these. And you're picking and choosing, and you're wearing certain parts out, and it's deceiving yourself. Or maybe uh, you keep pulling to the right. And you're saying, God, I'm going to live for you, and the next day you're not. And then, God, I'm going to live for you, and the next day you're not. And then, God, I'm going to live for you, and the next day you're not. I think you have an alignment problem. I think you have an alignment problem. Or maybe you're always exhausted. Faith is just burning you out, and you're constantly out of gas. And you say, this is, like, hard. This, like, like is exhausting. It's a chore. Or maybe you find yourself with no center, and you're not sure what is non-negotiable. And you'll sell out just for the sake of a pleasure or the acceptance of a friend. You lost your center. Right now, we're going to do an alignment of the heart. Because you need an alignment. You should tell somebody, you need an alignment. You need an alignment. You need an alignment. Yeah. You need an alignment. Here's the good news. good news is the book of Proverbs gives us instructions on an alignment. Go to Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6. We're going to do a little spiritual alignment. I felt that the best way for us to begin a journey through the book of Proverbs is to begin where the book of Proverbs begins. The beginning of the wisdom is the fear of the Lord. And a properly aligned heart enables us to interact with God properly. Look with me at Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6. Here's the instructions for your, for your alignment. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. Always an issue of the heart. In all your ways, acknowledge him. Look at this. Isn't this amazing? And he will make straight your paths. He will make straight your paths. Today I want to give you three ways. Three ways to align your heart. You can write these down if you'd like. Three ways to align your heart. As we begin these next four weeks studying the book of Proverbs, I want to start... (laughs) with a study of how we begin in wisdom by aligning our hearts. Three ways to align your heart. The first thing is, look at that first phrase that says there, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Trust in the Lord with all your... You know, I like when I read that phrase, the thing that jumps out to me is this idea of all your heart. All your heart kind of jumps out, you know. All your heart speaks of like this abandonment, this reckless, complete, absolute abandonment to the things of God. When we were um, at, our, uh, at our campsite where we go camping every year, we went first to Cape Cod and then we went camping and there's this rock out in the middle of a river that we call the jumping rock. And I've been going there since I was a kid. It's a lot of fun. You can jump off the rock into the water. And so we go out there and my sons, my older two sons, five and seven are their ages. They go out and, uh, and you know, the older one is really ready now. He's been there a few years now and he's seen other people jump off the jumping rock, but he's not really jumped off the jumping rock. But this year he was ready. He told me on the way there, dad, this year I'm jumping off the jumping rock. And so I was like, okay, fair enough. So we get there and uh, we get out there and he says, you know, we get on the jumping rock, we climb up it. And the first thing he says is, dad, why don't you jump off the jumping rock? And I was like, okay. And so I jump off the jumping rock. I'm in. He's like, me making sure I didn't die, you know, and everything else. He's like, how deep is it? I'm like, it's deep enough. Come on, jump. And he's, he's standing there on the edge of the rock and he's looking down at me and I'm going, buddy, come on, jump. And he's going, uh, and I can see in his mind, like, like, I don't know if I want to do this. This doesn't seem like a good idea, dad. And so I just looked at him. I said two words. I said, son jump. And I watched Gabriel. I watched as it calculated in his mind, like, all right, I 
if I die, I die. I'm just going to jump. And so he jumped and he hit the water and he came out. And after that, he was like Mr. Courageous. He was like, of course I jumped. Everybody jumps. It's awesome. You know, like he was all brave after that. But like, it was just this moment where I was like, wow. And it was a great moment for me as a dad, because I'm watching him jump off the rock. And I watch as his feet finally leave the rock. It's been a few years of preparation now to get him to this point. But finally, his feet just leave the rock and he's now airborne. And there's no turning back. You can't go, let me go back to the rock. You know, once you jump, you're out there. You're out there and you've let go. Reckless abandonment. Saying that we must do to properly align our hearts is bet your life on God's truth. Bet your life on God's truth. So many of us stumble here because we trust God 94% and then we leave that 6% to keep ourselves in control. Friend, I'm telling you, if you do not trust in the Lord with all your heart, he can't make your path straight. You must jump. Now it is terrifying. Maybe you experienced Jesus' grace and his love and you accepted him, but then you started reading this book and you said, some of this stuff is crazy. I don't know if I agree with its version of justice. I don't know if I agree with its version of sexuality. I don't know if it's gre- I agree with its version of command. I'm not, I'm not sure about some of these things. Listen, this is not always going to sit well with you. There are going to be struggles and frustrations and some things you don't understand. But God says, if you would just trust me, I will lead you on the path of wisdom. There comes a time in every believer's life where you have to say, there's things I don't understand. There's things I don't even like, but I am going to jump. I'm going to believe. I'm going to trust in God. I'm going to trust he's smarter than me. I'm going to trust he sees things I don't see. I'm going to bet my life on his truth. If you want to properly align your heart, it begins by betting your life on his truth. This is the essence of the fear of the Lord to say, I trust you. I trust your refuge. I let go. And then it says, do not lean on your own understanding. Do not lean on your own understanding. I heard a story, I read a story actually on the internet recently sure it's true, of a guy named Gary Hoy. He was 39 years old, and, uh, and Gary was apparently showing off to some students who, uh, he's a lawyer in Toronto, and he was showing them how they had purchased this unbreakable glass in their windows at their office. And so his office was on the 24th floor of, an, of a high-rise in Toronto, and he was showing the students how the glass just will not break. And he was showing them how he could lean into the glass and even smash his body against the glass, and it still wouldn't break. And so he said, see, kids, I'll show you how powerful this glass is. And he took his shoulder and wham, he slammed as hard as he could into the glass and it didn't break. He said, see, I'll do it again. And the second time he came in, he said, wham, and he leaned his body into it. He smashed his body up against the glass. But this time the glass didn't break, but the entire frame of the window fell out. 24 floors. And Gary died. He passed away. There's a scripture that says in uh, Proverbs 16, 25, that there's a way that seems right to a man, but it ends in death. In other words, what I'm telling you is that your own brilliant version of what's right can deceive you and lead to death. There's a way that seems right. You know, it seems right to steal from them because they stole from me. It seems right to get back at them because they deserve what they get. It seems right for me to take matters into my own hands. It seems right to do this. It seems right to do that. It seems right to not give right now because I don't have enough. You don't understand. I just, I don't have enough. How could I ever give and be generous right now if I don't have enough for me? It seems right. There's a way that seems right and it ends in death. 
There's a way that seems right. See, this is the twin brother of this whole bet your life on God's truth. Lean not on your own understanding. The second thing that leads us into the path of wisdom is you must reject self-reliance. Reject self-reliance. So I bet my life on God's truth and at the same time I reject self-reliance. I do not lean on my own understanding. Now, people misunderstand this and they think that rejecting self-reliance means acting like you're not good at something God made you good at. I'm good at guitar, but uh, no, I actually, I really stink. I'm actually lame. I'm not even good, really. No, that's false humility. That's not real. It's not to say you're not good at something that God made you good at. It's to say that I am good at that thing, but the goodness or the ability that I have with that thing is only by the grace of God. That he gave me my hands. He gave me my mind. He gave me my breath. If he would choose to take any of that away, I am fully, completely, absolutely, irrevocably dependent upon him. This is what it means to reject self-reliance. I don't lean on my own talents, my own friends, my connections, my assets, my education, my physical health. I do not lean on those things. I lean absolutely on him. In all your ways is the third phrase, acknowledge him and he'll make your path straight. This word acknowledge literally means, it's it's the verb in the Hebrew to know. In all your ways, know him and he will make your path straight. That's the literal translation Or in all your ways, perceive him. Think about this. In all your ways, be acquainted with him. In other words, it's speaking about this habitual practice of interacting with God all the time. That's what it's describing. In all your ways, stay with him. Acknowledge him. Know him at all times. Don't have any corners of your heart that you've not allowed him into. In the Jewish tradition, men oftentimes wear a yarmulke. And the word yarmulke in the Hebrew actually means the fear of the king. And the idea behind the yarmulke is to place something between us and God and to say, God, I'm wearing this as a physical representation that you are over me and that I'm under you at all times. See, the third way that we align our hearts with God is to invite him to everything. Invite God to everything. This means you invite him to your cubicle at work. This means you invite him to Monday morning at 9 a.m., This means you invite him to Saturday night at 10 p.m. This means you invite him to everything. And as you invite God into everything, and as you don't lean on your own understanding, but reject self-reliance, and as you fully jump, fully let go, fully bet your life on his truth, you've now postured your heart for wisdom. You've now postured your heart for wisdom. I just got my car aligned maybe a month ago. And I don't know what it was, probably my wife. I don't know what it was that knocked it out of alignment again, but for like a month, it was like baller status. You could go 90, not that I tried, in my minivan, and it wouldn't even shake at all. The other day, I probably hit 70, and it gave me a little, you know, in the wheel. And I'm like, oh. Again, new tires, just got an alignment, and it's doing it again. What is it? Did you ever know or realize that one pothole can throw off your entire alignment? You hit that thing just right, and it can mess up the whole thing. Here's what I've come to realize. Many of us have been on the path of wisdom in the past, but one pothole, boom, hit your life, 
And all of a sudden, that bet your life on God's truth thing, which was true of you six months ago or true of you three years ago, all of a sudden now it's like, uh, I bet my life mostly on God's truth. But there's some, I, I, yeah. Or maybe that whole like reject self-reliance thing. It's like, well, I, I reject most or I reject most self-reliance, but when it comes to relationships, I'm going to do what I think is best. In other words, there's mostly rejection of self-reliance, but a few little things I try to hold on to. Or this whole inviting God into everything, little corners of your life have started to develop where it's like, I don't really invite him into that because, you know, that is not really an area. I want to pretend like God doesn't see that. Of course, he already does. But I like to pretend like he doesn't because it makes me feel better about myself. And the reality is that as you've done that, thinking that it was smart for you to do that, hear me this morning, as you did that, what you actually did is put blinders on your own eyes and cut off your capacity to find real wisdom. You can't now apply the knowledge you have accurately because you've blinded yourself by not fearing the Lord. Just want to encourage you. Just trying to encourage you today. You've got to reject self-reliance, invite him into everything, bet your life on his truth. And here's the crazy thing about wisdom. Is that the smartest, mightiest, holiest among us can get tangled up with one pothole and compromise our ability to hear the sound of truths. One pothole can knock you out, can mess you up, can cause the need for an alignment again. How do I know that? Because the guy who wrote the book of Proverbs got out of alignment. 800 years before Jesus was born, Solomon penned the vast majority of these Proverbs, became famous for his wisdom. His story started in humility and submission to God. But that's not the way his story ended. In 1 Kings chapter 3, we see a glimpse of Solomon's story, and he has a dream where he hears the voice of God. And God says to him, Solomon, ask whatever you would need. Ask whatever you would wish. And Solomon, it says this in verse 6, it says, Solomon said, you have shown great and steadfast love to your servant David, my father, because, because, see, Solomon understood, because he walked before you in faithfulness, in righteousness, and in, say that phrase with me, uprightness of heart toward you. In other words, Solomon got it. He said, God, I understand that you blessed my father, not because he was perfect, but because his heart was aligned. And he made a lot of mistakes, but he was aligned in his heart. And you have kept for him this great and steadfast love and have given him a son to sit on his throne this day. And look down at uh, the next verse here. Verse 9, I'm going to skip just a couple verses. It says, give your servant therefore an understanding mind to govern your people that I may discern between good and evil. For Look at his humility. For who is able to govern this, your great people? In other words, God, I can't even do this. I need you to help me. God, would you give me an understanding mind? And it pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. And God said to him, because you have asked this and have not asked for yourself long life or riches or the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right. Behold, now do according, I'll do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind that none like you has been before and none like you shall arise after you. I give you also what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that no other king shall compare with you all your days. And if you will walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and my commandments as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. So Solomon begins, hey Greg, let's get her. Solomon begins with wisdom, right? He begins with an understanding heart. 
and he steps out in wisdom. And what happens? He builds the temple, and the temple is built in his wisdom. He returns the ark back to the temple, and it's done in wisdom. He writes these amazing proverbs, and he writes them in wisdom, and he prospers and prospers and prospers and prospers. And everybody says, Solomon's the most wise man that ever lived. Solomon is just beyond the knowledge and wisdom of any. But look what happens to him. Check this out. Verse 1 of chapter 11. Now, King Solomon, this is for you today. Well, hopefully not this verse exactly. Loved many foreign women. Along with the daughter of Pharaoh, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, too many ites. And from the nations concerning the Lord, which said to the people of Israel, you shall not enter into marriage with them, neither shall they with you. Why? What was his concern? For surely they will turn away your... See it again? Heart after their God. Solomon clung to these in love. He had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines. Somebody say, that's too many. One's enough in Jesus' name. And his wives, here's the key phrase, turned away his heart. Would you stand your feet with me this morning? properly aligned heart. You need an alignment today? Do you need an alignment today? Do you need an alignment in your own heart today? Wisdom begins with a properly aligned heart. Wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is to align your heart properly. You are God. I'm not God. You are great. I am under you. I'm dependent upon you in all things at all times in every way. I bet my life on your truth. With everything I have, I trust you. I reject self-reliance. I don't trust in even the talents you gave me. And I invite you into everything. And in doing so, you become aligned. And you find wisdom. The next 22 days, we're going to read this book. And this book will do you no good if you don't start with the right heart. So many people read scripture, study scripture, and wonder why they never see Jesus. And it's because you didn't start. take a few minutes. The band's going to lead us in a couple songs here, just a, uh, you know, a time of just singing. I want to take a few minutes right here, right now for you and me to pause from our busy schedules and our routines, to not worry about tomorrow or the next day, but instead to take this moment as a sacred time. Okay. A sacred time. Maybe it's your first time ever here at church. Maybe it's your first time ever at church at all, but either way, this is a sacred moment right here. You may have followed Christ for 30 or 40 years. This moment is an opportunity to, for you to align your heart and maybe even God will begin. I feel like this is for somebody here today. God will begin to show you a pothole you hit maybe a week ago or maybe two months ago or maybe six months ago or maybe even farther back a pothole that you hit that all of a sudden got you out of alignment. You stopped betting everything on God. You stopped leaning on his understanding above your own. You stopped acknowledging him in all your ways. Whatever it was that knocked you out today, it's time to realign your heart with God. 
Let's pray together and then let's engage God in a time of worship and singing and allow him to do a work inside our souls. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you that right here, right now, you are doing a work. I thank you that your spirit is here, that your power is here, that your presence is here right now. Lord, I pray, move among your people right now in Jesus' name. Holy Spirit, I pray, speak to us in a profound and life-changing way right now in Jesus' name. I pray that you give us discernment as to any area in our hearts that's become unaligned with you. And right now is our moment to realign our hearts with God. I pray, prepare us for the next 22 days as we walk through this book that you would unleash and unlock the reality of your wisdom, knowledge applied, that you'd give us the answers we've been looking for. God, for the person that's been consistently stumbling in that sin, this is the time in Jesus' name where the cycle is broken. In the name of Jesus, for the person that's consistently been under the circumstances, this is the time to be above the circumstances in Jesus' name. Now is the time we open our hearts to you. In Jesus' name, let's take this time right now just to open our hearts and realign our hearts. Thank you, Lord. If God is using this ministry in your life, we would love to hear from you. Email us at mystory@ourcitychurch.org. For more information about the church, visit www.ourcitychurch.org.